Boom, and we are back with another episode. Heather, how are you today? Good, good. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today. This is going to be fun. I'm always excited to talk to you, honestly. Me too. <laughs> we always have so much fun together, that's for sure. We were just lamenting on, well, our, our mutual hate for the stair mill. <laughs> <laughs> And Valerie apparently is okay to with the torture, and I am not. So <laughs> it's it's really not that fun, but that's why I throw it in there. I, it's been years since I've been done the stair mail, but I was like, hey, this is this might be what I need. Like the mental strength is what, what I'm lacking at this point. <laughs> so well, so it's yeah. not fun. That's for sure. I it isn't, and you know, we're actually going to touch on a little bit like the the growth is in the struggle sometimes and some it is good to allow yourself a little struggle and we'll go into that later in this episode but first let's start out with something good what is your something good this week Val oh my something good is next week I get to take my younger two to New Mexico it's it's just gonna be a mom and little boy trip and there's nothing in particular that we have planned we're going to go to Carl's the Carlsbad Caverns and okay. there's like a little water park and just just play i really wanted to take them on a hot air balloon ride but my 8 year old is like deathly afraid of the idea of doing it oh, no. and i don't think they will give us a refund like if we get there and he really doesn't want to get into the hot air balloon i don't think the refund will happen <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, and, and if you're by yourself, there's no one you can leave him with. Exactly. You can't float away and say, good luck to you. <laughs> oh, well, maybe next time. That would be amazing, though. That's like, I people are always like, why, why are you thinking of doing a hot air balloon ride in New Mexico? But they do that festival every year in October. And so we're not going to be there in October, but I thought, hey, they do that festival. It must be a thing. Maybe we'll check it out. But I don't know. So we'll why not? See. Right? Yeah. yeah. Why not? For the experience. That's what my um. That's what my seventeen-year-old daughter says for the experience. And I I love that little mantra. I'm like, it's the really you don't have to justify why you want to do it. You could just do it because you want to. Yeah. So. so fun. So Heather, what is your something good? Well, you know, because I've been like obsessively talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but my 21-year-old son has been on a, a church mission in Ecuador for the last two years, and he comes home next Tuesday. So I think we are just like four days in count, four or five days in counting. Um, so I am so excited. I am thankfully been able to speak to him weekly, um, but um, I just miss him. I just keep visualizing the airport moment when I just get to finally hug his long, lanky body. He's Aww. so tall, he's like 6'4". <laughs> and um just the and he's just so fun he's the oldest in our family and he's a great big brother and it'll be fun to see him struggle with English when he gets back because he's been primarily speaking Spanish which is amazing really when you think about immersing yourself in a culture for a couple of years and you can pick up this amazing skill of a new language it really is so awesome. it really so. is so cool and it will be fun yeah. to see like his little quirks coming back like you know, whatever his routines he's had and how he tries to <laughs> readjust into 
into yes, uh, regular life. Be, I'm sure he'll be a little weird at first and that's okay. Yes. That's totally understandable. But, and he like has basically the clothes on his back. He's just said that all of his clothes are in tatters and his shoes have holes in them. And I just think it's such a beautiful testament to his dedication to the work the last couple of years. And we're going to get him home and make him cookies and take him shopping. And and he's only going to be home for a couple of weeks and then he's off to college again. So Gosh. it's just weird that we're in this phase of our life, but I am very excited. So that's my something good. Let's talk about some other good things. So uh, Valerie chose the topic of training volume today. And I was both excited and nervous about this topic because it is one that is much debated. And I think people don't understand what training volume is or the importance of it or how to apply it to their training. And, um, and it's something for me as a fairly newish coach, you know, that I'm still grappling with. I was telling Valerie before we started, uh, we both ten- attended the programming practical at N1 in February. And when training volume, the topic of training volume came up, I felt like it was the place that everybody had a lot of questions on and it was the place that people were most confused about. So I felt justified in my own personal grappling with it as well as we went over that. So I last night I was like, okay, what does the internet have to say about what training volume is? Yes. And so I looked it up and the first thing that came up was, Training volume is reps times sets times weight lifted. And I thought, well, that's a very simplified definition of training volume. And I know for certain that a lot more goes into it than just sets times reps times weight. So Valerie, for you, how do you define training volume? So when you're looking at training volume from a hypertrophy perspective, we're both, both Heather and I, we're both hypertrophy coaches. And so when we look at programming for our clients, we're like, what are going to be the sets that are going to be the most stimulating to get us those adaptations for muscle growth? So we're looking at training volume from an intensity perspective. And we're also looking, you know, we are like taking into account to a certain extent, like how many sets um, we're doing per muscle group, but not to the point where we're tallying things up and, you know, hyper-focusing on like, okay, we've got this squat here. So we got, when it's in a squat, you, you got a little bit of like, you know, your traps are isolating the barbell and then you've got your quads and your, and your glutes. And if you bend over a little bit more this way, it's maybe going to be a little bit more quad. Like we're not getting into like the weeds of getting a, like too, too crazy, you know? I think you bring up a good point. I think sometimes when people are trying to figure out training volume, there's probably a bit of paralysis by analysis, right? Yes. That maybe this, it, it's a, it's important to factor in things like exercise selection, but also you don't need to be paralyzed by it. You don't have to get so nuanced about it that, you know, you're make yourself crazy. Yeah. And you're like, well, is that maybe one set, you know, one set of, of quads in this, in this um, squat, or is it going to account to like four sets of quads in the squat? Yeah. You, you, so we're looking again at like, what is going to get us the biggest bang for our buck? Are we training 
the muscle within its full range of motion, especially in hypertrophy, we're looking at more lengthened biased training. So we can get that mechanical tension stimulus out of our training. And that Valerie, when you talk about mechanical, when we talk about intensity, and we also talk about mechanical tension, what's a simple way that we could describe both of those things? So mechanical tension is this, like the stimulus that we need in order to create those adaptations for muscle growth. And that is going to be lifting in more of that close proximity to failure, which brings up intensity. And there's a couple different tools you can use to gauge intensity. And it's RPE, which stands for rate of perceived exertion, or reps in reserve, or or RIR. So people kind of use those a little bit interchangeably. I've heard of, you know, you should use RPE for one thing over another. But either way, whatever you use in order to manage your intensity, it's really going to be helpful from a volume perspective. Because say you get a program and you have, you know, three sets of bicep curls. Are they all going to be stimulating sets? You don't know that unless your program has listed like RIR of two or whatever it might be. And also you don't know, should you be taking your final set to failure? Well, typically the way that I like to program, I think you do too, Heather, is we like to take those final sets to failure. And we can manage volume and intensity by programming in kind of an ascending load or descending um, loading scheme with our RIR scale. So we would start at maybe like an RIR of three. And then as we get closer to our final set, we hit that zero RIR or no sets um, or no reps left in reserve. Yeah. One of the ways I like to think about RIR, it's like how many reps left in the tank. Um, Do you think that people have a hard time determining their intensity levels or, you know, do you think they accurately gauge RPE or RIR? I think most people when they're starting off in this don't know what that feels like. Don't know, you know, what really two reps left in the tank feels like. They don't even, and they, they don't know that because they haven't really taken a set to true failure. Um, I'm sure like you could think back to the first time that you took a set to true failure. Like what, what were you like, what were your thoughts after you did that? When, well, the, I think the first time I did really go into this absolute true failure was at my first N1 practical. Yeah. And it gave me a really uh, good dose of perspective as to how much I was sandbagging my, (laughs) my sets before, um, on my own. And I, and, and I wasn't hard on myself for it, but sometimes it's, it's good to recognize like that you can grow more. I think a lot of times people get to the point where they're in a struggle and they're like, I'm out, I'm out, you know, we're done. Um, and you get better over time at learning how to struggle in it a little bit more. Um, I remember even going back to my running days thinking I can only run five miles. And then I went on a run with some friends and unbeknownst to me, they took me on a 10 mile run. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, but you know, 
I got done with it and I was like, I didn't know I could run 10 miles. Like I thought I had capped out at five, like that's all I can do. Yeah. And a lot of times um, I'm always amazed at the capacity that we have for growth. And the same goes with strength training, that we generally have um, a lot more capacity than we give ourselves credit for, but we are the ones stopping. We aren't very tolerant of the discomfort or the struggle. And the reality is, is growth, you know, is in the struggle. That is where, that's, that's where when it comes to resistance training, and we were talking about that RPE or RIR, those last few reps, like that, those last few reps when you're struggling, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. You never, yeah. I was just thinking that the whole time. You never know if you never try. And oftentimes we are paralyzed of progress due to just our, our fear and fear comes simply just due to the unknown. Like we don't know what's going to happen or, or like an experience that somebody else has had of, you know, like, well, they did, they did a squat once and hurt their back or something like that, you know, and there's like a, a bit of this fear that comes into it. So that actually is something that we could kind of touch on too, is when you are pushing failure and you are um, getting to those stimulating sets and reps, you want to make sure that you do do so appropriately for the exercise that you have selected. And so going to failure, and we won't, we won't go a lot into this because we're talking about training volume, but just that going to failure in a squat versus going to failure in a leg press is going to be much different. You know, when your spine is loaded, you've got that concern that that's definitely a real concern, but you can push yourself harder in a leg press. Um, And especially when you've got a spotter, like at the N1 practicals, you've got somebody there to help you. And that kind of gives you a little, a boost of confidence. Like, yeah, I could push myself a little bit more. This, This person's here, but they actually typically don't even help you. Like we are a lot stronger than we realize. And it's, um, being able to put yourself in an environment where you feel empowered so you can push yourself to see what that feels like. And then that gives you a lot of confidence going forward. It's true. And, um, and I think a lot of the times fear and perfectionism gets in our way of that. You know, we want to do everything perfectly. We want to be able to finish out each rep. And sometimes I will purposely, um, go into another rep knowing I'm not going to be able to finish it. Um, and, and I do that, of course, you brought up a really valuable point. I do that in, uh, an environment or in an exercise that I know that I can fail safely, you know? So what's the worst thing that happens if I have to crawl out of the bottom of a hack squat, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I just kind of have to roll out. Maybe, you know, it looks a little awkward, but at least I went for it. At least I tried and I knew for sure that I'd hit failure on my final set. When you're crawling out of the bottom, bottom of a hack squat, you know, (laughs) you know, you, you gave it your all. And so, um, I think that that's an important thing and it is valuable in terms of training volume, because if we're talking about creating those stimulating reps and that has an impact on training volume, we need to understand RPE and RIR, how much intensity we're bringing to those sets. And so that kind of leads us into, you know, what if you happen to have a program where you're doing what looks like a high volume of sets, like maybe it's a program where in a few of the main exercises, you're doing sets of six, but you go and look at 
the your RAR that your coach has program or that's written in and very well as a, if it's a good program those first few sets should be more sub maximal not really contributing yeah. to the stimulus be um and then it should get harder over the course of the set so that you are working up to those top sets in there and so you should be seeing something of like maybe a RIR of five four at the first and then you know it will get up to a one near the end or a zero at the end and so looking at those things sometimes if you are only used to the idea of volume as uh, you know the sets times reps times load then you'll look at that and be like this is so much but if you're looking at volume with this perspective of like what's are going to be the stimulating sets what's going to get me this mechanical tension stimulus to create these adaptations for hypertrophy then that gives you a better idea of how to approach that exercise and how to load appropriately as well right i actually remember my first program from with you had it was a descending rep ascending load scheme and it and i had never seen you know six sets before and i remember at first thinking oh that's so much and i think we just kind of look we we oversimplify where we look at it and like that's a lot of sets i thought there's so much volume and you brought up a great point no not necessarily you know it is um it is the stimulating reps, the sets closer to failure that creates the volume. I think actually those types of programs can be really beneficial to help practice um, motor patterns and um, just get better at tolerating load and um, increasing intensity as you go. It's a great teaching tool, but I think people confuse that a lot thinking they're doing so much when really um, it's, it's, it's not as much as it looks like on paper. Yeah. And that's just, you know, that's the way that we tend to program, but there are others, other ways that you might see a program of where you just see two sets. Like so I know that there's some people out there who will program of just two sets. So those are their working sets and they might do a few like warm up or sub maximal loaded sets, you know, that don't contribute to the stimulus. It's just not listed in the programming. So, um, and I see that a lot. I've worked with um, other other people and trained with other people. And that's the approach that they like to take. And there's no right or wrong way, but it's just realizing how, how to approach intensity as you are training. So you can get the necessary volume out of your workouts. And I guess this could lead us into like progressive overload. And so when people are looking at lifting, they always feel like, Oh, well, if I didn't do another set, or if I didn't do, you know, add more load this week, like I wasn't successful in making the gains. The most simplest form of progressive overload is literally just doing it better. And so sometimes you'll get to your final set and you're like, oh, that wasn't, or your final rep and you're like, oh, that wasn't even um, to failure. I really did have a few more reps left in me and I just didn't go there. So the next week you're like, I'm just going to push myself a little bit harder you know, so managing that, but it, it, there is an awareness that has to come with that, which I think is fun. Some people like to go in and train and like to kind of turn their, turn their minds off, which is good. Like we can have periods of, of that, but I also think there's a lot of 
excitement and going in with this awareness of like, this is, this is my time. This is me versus me. This is how I can push myself beyond just more load. Cause um, you know, I will get like um, check-in replies from clients and they'll say, Oh, I didn't, you know, add any more weight on my exercises this week. And so I didn't make a lot of progress and it's like, well, no, it's just, you're constantly practicing. So it's just this practice of always getting better and not trying to add more weight because we get to a point where we physically can't add more weight. It's actually going to work to our detriment if we continue to try to add more weight all the time. It goes back to the idea of increasing in intensity, right? That we need to learn to do that versus it's it's different than increasing in weight all the time. Like what, you know, were those higher quality reps, like, did you, were you able to push a little bit more into failure? You know, last week, did you, did you stop when you really could have done a couple more reps and you recognize that? And then you, um, the next week, you know, you're like, no, I think I, I am going to push into those last couple of reps. I had it in me or, you know, have I improved my tempo? Have I improved my form? You know, all of those things are elements that help with progressive overload. And so um, another question is, how do we know if we're getting enough? Like, what, what are some metrics or markers that people could be looking at to to make sure that they're getting, getting enough and finding that optimal ish type of range of training volume? Well, I think the overtraining's sometimes easier for me to see as a coach, you know, you see uh, people being just very sore for a long time, which is interesting, because everyone sees soreness as as a badge of honor, like that's the I know it was a good workout, because I'm like, walk, I can't even use the toilet. That is like a red flag for me as a coach. I'm like, Oh, we might have overdone it a little bit. You know, we, maybe we need to um, reduce some sets or we need to decrease that RIR a little bit um, or, or increase the RIR. But um, the other thing I look at is biomarkers, you know, how's their sleep? How's their digestion? You know, um, are they overly stressed? You know, so those are some things you can look at for, for overtraining. Did I miss anything else Val on the overtraining side? No, that, yeah, that all sounds really good. You're going to, you're going to hear complaints of soreness. And the thing is, is when you do start a new program, like there's the novel, there's the novelty of it, right. Of where there's, if there, if you're sore, that's fine, but it should like wear off. So if you're constantly sore for a couple weeks, that is a good sign that something needs to be adjusted. (laughs) So you got to look at what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as under training, Val, what do you look for in your clients when you're like, I think they could tolerate more, they could do more? It really comes down to not seeing them make like there's not any progress happening. Uh, with most of my clients, it's more body recomposition that is the focus. And so if I'm not seeing any like glute growth or even waist getting leaner. Cause as you train, you can see these like reductions in body fat, you know, mm-hmm. as you're dialing in you, your nutrition and training. So that's a big thing. Also, when I ask them for their failure sets, seeing what failure means to them. Once yes. more, most people 
don't really have that gauge of failure until they've experienced it. And, and you can still teach somebody that as an online coach, but it does require like video footage to see what they look like and be like, okay, Hey, this is, this is what we need to do. We're going to work on this and work up to pushing yourself a little bit, a little bit more. And so that, that also um, is a big indicator. The other thing that could be a result of undertraining would be training age, the name of our podcast, looking at uh, the clients and how much experience that they have lifting. So if you have a client who's like really new to hypertrophy training, a novice training age client, they can tolerate a lot more volume because they aren't as neurologically coordinated as somebody who's been training for several years with good form. There could still be a novice training age person who has been training for years and years and years if they've never really learned the, you know, the proper form and control with exercises. And so that's another thing to consider as well. If you're more of a uh, novice training age, there's nothing wrong with that. It's absolutely a great, we all started there. Everybody has to start somewhere. That's where you start. Um, But as you practice and get better, you can get a lot more out of a lot less. And initially, you know, you may be, if you're under training and you don't know that about your client or yourself, you may be doing just too low a volume for you. Like it's specific to you. So again, that context comes into play. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when you brought up the point of somebody that may actually uh, feel like they have a lot of experience with weightlifting and you put them in a program that requires better form and better tempo from them. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, like their training volume has increased in a way because they're just getting more stimulating reps from that program. I I had a client that um, came to me and, and told me she just had all this experience and then, you know, I was, wor- I've been working with her on form and tempo and execution and all of these things. And she's like, I have never worked so hard in my life. Like, and she's seen some great progress because of that, because, yeah. you know, maybe she was lifting similar reps and sets and um, maybe even weight, but, you know, you add in um, place, you know, that tempo and, and good form and, you know, and, and, and giving her that RP, those RPE goals or RIR goals. And all of a sudden she's like, this is so hard, this is so much harder than I've worked before. <laughs> and, um, it makes a difference. It really does. It does. It's that, again, that practice of getting better. The, one of the best ways of progressive overload, you're just continuing to practice and improve and we can do it no matter how many years. Um, that we've been training, like it happens for us all the time. That's like kind of the fun thing with training is it's a, a, a constant practice. So I love that. I like that a lot. It, it is exciting. And I think um, when people are looking for proof that their program is working, um, and, you know, everybody likes to like have goals. And I think weight's an easy thing for them to land on. But I would I would really urge you to find other measures of of improvement um, because that's, you, you know, like we said, you can't infinitely lift weight forever, right? You mm-hmm. know, you, you there's going to be a point 
that, like I said, my delts can only handle so much weight. I mean, I, they can get stronger, but, but I can keep improving. I can keep, you know, creating that uh, mechanical tension and create, creating those stimulating reps, no matter what weight I'm lifting in whatever program I can be improving. And so that's the really exciting thing about strength training is there's always ways to improve. Yeah. And using again, periodization in that one of my, like my most watched reels that I've ever made talked about this concept of, you know, if you have a lagging muscle group, you don't necessarily say, okay, I'm going to train it every single day. And I'm going to do five or six exercises and just like trash it. You are still training smart. You're still finding appropriate exercise selection and training volume. Sure. You can definitely add a little bit more volume to something you want to bring up, but you are taking periods of like lifting a little bit heavier and then you period, you periodize into something where maybe it's a little bit lighter and then you do a different type of program. So it's still the exercise but you're taking it into different types of training stimulus to create adaptations in different ways. And you build and get stronger in that way. I see people at my gym doing the same workout every single week, like the same, they never change it. They never change their programming. They're doing the same thing all the time. And I don't ever see their bodies changing. Like they look exactly the same for for years I've been at this gym and, and, um, and so it it is periodization is so important to have smart programming, you know, to change that stimulus from time to time. And, um, and that's where the growth happens. It really does. And I've seen it with your physique, Heather, over the years, and I've seen it with my physique over the years. And, you know, we see it with our clients. There's a lot of people who, when you apply this, it really works. And so, um, and it, again, it, it does come down to training volume and how you can apply that, but not getting into the weeds of like, oh, how many sets per muscle group am I doing per week? You can make up the craziest type of training split. You don't have to do an upper lower, you know, an upper body training day, a lower body training day. Now, there's nothing wrong with that but you don't have to. There's nothing that says you have to. And it sometimes it's a little fun to switch things up and be a little bit like, I'm going to do some glutes and then some rear delts and some abs today or whatever. Like you can, you know, you can make those um, changes. Yeah. There's, there's no magical training split. That's the, th- that is actually the question that irks me the most that I get on Instagram is what's your training split. I'm like, I don't know it changes like all the time. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, because you know, it, that doesn't really matter. (laughs) My training split doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, it's, it's creating that mechanical tension. It's creating opportunities for growth. It's the intensity I bring to each set. That is where the magic happens. And so, um, there's no magical training split, honestly. Amen. And so, um, to close, I guess, at the end of the day, what is how many sets per week do you need? What is the most optimal? Well, to put it in the most basic form, we I saw this quote on on uh, online last night that I liked that they just said, hey, one set's better than no set. And and then it just um, adjusts from there as your training age increases, like as you're starting 
um, as a novice training age person, just new to this type of stuff and figuring it out, you're going to need a little bit more volume because it takes a little bit more to get the stimulus. And then as you become more intermediate advanced training age, you're still practicing. You've never perfected this, this experience of bodybuilding and um, strength training, but you don't need as much. And so right. you're just watching how you progress over the months, over the years and managing your training volume. If you're feeling sore, you make those adjustments. And that's kind of, you know, that's the approach that I like to take instead of being so detailed of, well, I need to make sure I hit, you know, 10, 10 sets of this, this week. Um, it kind of naturally will come based on the results that I'm seeing. Right. And we're all individuals. And so we all need different things and understanding yourself and um, understanding the way that you can increase that intensity from week to week and improve. I mean, that's, that's where it happens. It is like you said, it's not this magical, like I have to hit eight to 20, you know, sets per week in this particular muscle group in this division. Um, just get out there and work, do the work and, um, and the magic will happen. Yes. Well, this was a great episode. Yeah. I, we went into this a little bit nervous of like, we want to make sure that we're not getting too too into the weeds. We want to present this in a way where it can kind of give you guys a little bit more clarity of how you can approach training volume because this is one of the, the, the most popular questions that is asked often. Like, you know, what's the ideal training split and how many sets should I get of, of my glutes per week? type of thing and Heather gets this too and so we we're like well we want to approach this in a way that makes the most sense because sure the research there's research which is great. we use that as a guide but ultimately it's context and what makes the most sense based on our needs and also what we enjoy too like we want the challenge but we want to have the enjoyment as well feel free to follow us at our training age on Instagram and trainingage.com online Thanks for listening.